so today what I thought we'd do is come back off of Easter, great weekend at Easter, uh, kind of talking about the proofs of the resurrection is one of the things that we wanted to talk about on Sunday. I talked about there is no doubt historically both biblical evidence and extra biblical evidence uh, that Jesus was nailed to a Roman cross, that the tomb was in fact empty. Uh, there is no doubt about that because Christianity could have been shut down in its early days and early phases. Uh, that there were many witnesses and eyewitnesses and those eyewitnesses to a risen Christ uh, had a change of mind and heart and will. They were steadfast in their mind. They were settled in what they had seen. They were steadfast in their will. They were willing to be martyrs for their faith. And they were also steadfast in their labor and effort because they know that all of the effort that we do is not in vain. And those three things ought to represent us as well. You guys, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it and be willing to be steadfast in our mind and be settled in our mind. We also need to be immovable in our will uh, that we need when we get pressed. And guys, we're going to get pressed. Uh, imagine if you are a Christian in Sri Lanka today, okay? Uh, and by the way, if you don't know Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka has been known for a long time, although it's predominantly a Buddhist country. Uh, in fact, of all the religions, Christian is the, is the smallest minority. There's only about 6% or 5% of Sri Lanka that is actually Christian. And uh, they're, they're kind of hunkered up on one border. Uh, there are a lot of Buddhists, a lot of Hindus, a uh, small minority of Muslims, so, but a little larger uh, than Christians. And uh, imagine if you're, uh, you're trying to decide if you're going to go and go to church next week, right? Uh, if you're a Christian, you better be immovable. You better be stationed. It's... Uh, uh, we've got to be settled in our mind, but also settled in our will that we're not going to be pushed back. And we need to train our kids as well. I know that Ron's very involved in our apologetics ministry here at the church to teach our kids to defend their faith. I will promise you, uh, your kids are asking questions about the faith that you have no idea. And chances are they're not asking you about them. They're asking their friends. They're talking about them at the lunch table. Um, you know, about morality, about all the gender confusion that is going on. They're asking people those questions. And if you are not equipped to engage in those conversations and steer them towards the evidence, and, and that's, that's where we need to understand, that we need to steer them towards the evidence that is there. Um, that's what they want to be encouraged with, is, is to be steered toward the evidence. Yes, we want to steer them towards the faith, but we want to steer them towards a faith that is based in facts. Does that make sense? And you might wonder why you're hearing me say that over and over again, because I, am, I read more stuff and more studies uh, about the coming generation and what they have a tendency to believe before we know it. And you say, why is that? Why are they asking questions so early? It's called social media. They can go in their room and they have access to more news than you and I ever did. But the facts are, what they read on social media, and you can go look this up, what they read on social media, which is opinion, they receive it as news. Does that make sense? And that's where you and I need to understand that. When they are reading what Kim Kardashian says or uh, what, uh, uh, what a Jenner says, depending on which one you're listening to, um, you know, they are reading that as news. Does that make sense? They're not reading that as some Hollywood opinion. They're reading that as news. And someone will say, you know, we need to go do this. And they see that as news. And so we've got to be engaged. Some of you are in the empty nest or grandparent phase. Let me tell you what, your grandkids are asking the question. And they're about a nanosecond from leaving the faith. And uh, so I want to encourage you to always understand that. So today I thought I'd just uh, spend a few minutes 
uh, with you walking through uh, some of those uh, uh, historical accounts that we see uh, in Scripture, and you can read about them outside of Scripture also, um, that, uh, that people encountered uh, a risen Christ. People encountered a risen Christ. And so I'm just going to go through some of them, and you can just grab your Bible, you can open them up, and I'll show you some of these places. Um, and so let me open us in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to, um, uh, to just gather around your word in a uh, post-resurrection uh, uh, Sunday morning uh, on Tuesday, that as we join here um, with the guys, that we would just look at some of uh, the times when Christ uh, encountered people after uh, the resurrection and really what what happened to them in their lives and that the, the change that that made in them in Jesus name we pray amen and amen all right the first uh, after um, after that Easter Easter morning that resurrection morning when the when the ladies were first to the tomb if you want to go back uh, if you have not heard me share this over and over uh, I will promise you for those who create this uh, whole resurrection story as a fictional host hoax or a uh, uh, just basically a figment, figment imagination. Let me tell you what, if they had plotted and, and what they will have to do, if they're going to call the resurrection story a hoax, they're going to have to say it was a well-planned hoax. Well, from the very beginning, guys, it would not have been well-planned because the first people to the tomb were women. How many of you know that? In that day, if you were going to plan a hoax, a story if you were going to have eyewitnesses guys and this is no no offense to ladies if you were going to plan a hoax and have eyewitnesses to the story you would not have sent women to the tomb first because they couldn't even vote they were less than human status they they did not have the authority they were not allowed to basically testify in court they just weren't and they were mocked and laughed at they were a lesser person you would have sent at least whoever of the disciples uh, probably Matthew or something like that. You would have sent the most distinguished one there first. But instead, uh, in this what some would call the masterly, masterfully crafted hoax, they sent the women first. Well, that tells me it wasn't a hoax. The women were doing what women do, weren't they? And that what usually happens in our lives. If we're hurt, if we're struggling, the lady's going to show up because the dude's like, hey, dude, sorry, I'm out. I'm still fishing. But that's exactly what, what we understand is the ladies showed up first, and then Peter and John showed up, then ultimately uh, the word spread to the disciples. So now let's, if you, if you have your Bibles, go to, go to Luke chapter 24. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse 36. So you remember in Sunday morning, I talked about Luke 24, verse 1 and 2, where the ladies went to the tomb first. They encountered uh, the stone was already rolled away. The body was already gone. One of the first encounters, uh, encounters we see of Jesus is Luke 24, verse 36. This is the disciples, but Thomas is not with them. This is the disciples, and Thomas is not with them. Luke 24, verse 36. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking that they had seen a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do you why do doubts arise in your minds and i remember what i just said as we talked about sunday we have to be steadfast in our mind we can't let doubts uh, invade our minds he says look at my hands and my feet is it not i myself touch me and see 
Uh, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And so what is Jesus saying? I am physically and bodily resurrected. Now, some of the people that, uh, that would basically say the resurrection didn't happen, they will, they will report uh, some, some theories. I, I dealt some of those a blow on Sunday. Some would say uh, they would refer to what was called the swoon theory, which is Jesus was almost dead and then he recovered. Now, as I said Sunday, that is a fictional story that Victor Hugo would have loved. That here you have a guy that was beaten, all right? He was beaten by the Romans, uh, almost to a point of death. He was marched out to a Roman cross. He was nailed to a cross. He hung there for hours. Then he had a spear stabbed in his side. Everybody thought he was dead. They thought he was dead so much. And let me tell you what, going back to the Romans, the Romans weren't, were good at a couple of things. They weren't good at everything. They were good at building roads. All right, they were great at building roads, and they were great at killing you. I want you to know, if they wanted to kill you, the Romans knew how to kill you. They were really good at it, and, and crucifixion was the best thing. So they thought they stuck a spear in his side. They took him down. They thought he was dead. Here, here's the theory. The swoon theory is just exactly what I addressed it. I just didn't use the idea of the swoon theory that he was placed in the tomb for three days. Somewhere in that three days, he felt a little better. After three days, he rolled away the stone. He walked out and the body was never found. Now, let me tell you what, that is a fanciful fictional story of amazing proportions. So there are some that say that. There are others um, that say that the, 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 the disciples stole the body away, the stolen body theory, that these same disciples that weren't even willing to stick around for uh, his crucifixion were all of a sudden gonna get all kind of brave and make their way past the Roman soldiers, push away the stone and take away the body, that would be humorous and shocking as well. That'd be a fanciful fictional story. But this goes to the other one. Another one would be uh, uh, what they refer to is a, a mass uh, vision, all right? That it was just a, Jesus didn't physically raise from the grave, uh, or the dead, it was his spirit. It was a spiritual resurrection. And I will tell you, there are a lot of people even today in certain denominations and places that hold to there wasn't a physical bodily resurrection, there was a spiritual one. Well, why would they embrace that? Someone tell me, why would they embrace that kind of an idea? Why would they embrace that idea? <coughs> Somebody just offer, huh? Huh? Sounds like it makes sense. Anybody else have another thought? Dead people stay dead. Hmm? Dead people stay dead. Yeah, dead people stay dead, but it also gives them the opportunity to celebrate the resurrection story on Easter, you know, uh, uh, go to church, uh, but they don't have to defend the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, so it's kind of a cop-out. They say yes to the resurrection, right? But then they also say no to the bodily resurrection. So you can't totally kick them out. Uh, I will tell you this, and I'm looking around uh, because I don't think this guy is here, uh, but I've seen him. After the Saturday night service, I stood around with our team. We were talking, is there anything we need to change for Sunday morning? I walked out. There's a man sitting right over in that chair, and he walked by me. As I'm walking by him, he stopped me and said, great sermon, Pastor, but for me... That really doesn't matter. 
Okay. Now, before you before you think and throw this guy out, baby out with the bathwater, I knew he wasn't saying the whole salvation thing doesn't matter. The proofs of the resurrection for him didn't matter. Okay. And basically, what he and then I said, well, explain that to me. And he goes, you know, for me, it's a belief, it's a faith. And I go, I understand that. And he goes, so whether the body was physically resurrected or not doesn't matter to me. I thought he was saying the apologetic sermon. Then I got down to the resurrection didn't matter. All right. I guarantee you grew up in one of these veins where none of that matters. So I just said, well, the apostle Paul said it does matter. First Corinthians 15. If Christ be not risen, our preaching is in vain. How many of y'all understand that? So I want you to know, and I will tell you, this guy uh, was not trying to slam me or the church. He was actually trying to demonstrate that he just, all he cared about was faith. And, and I will tell you, the generation, he was a little older than me, that generation is fine, and he understood, and, and he was not trying to be a heretic, okay? So don't go out here looking for the heretic in the church, all right? That was not what he was trying to do. What he was trying to do is, is answer the same way a lot of people answer right? I just have faith. I just have faith. Or they say, the Bible says it, I believe it. That is all good. Both of those are great. And let me tell you what, I live my life that way. But I also want you to know, I understand very clearly that Christianity has always been based on the facts, and they've been based on the facts of the resurrection from day one, and that's not me putting words in Paul's mouth. That's Paul putting words in my mouth. Does that make sense? That's why, guys, when we come to the resurrection, these things need to lock in your mind because I will promise you, I will promise you all of Shane's winnings from Vegas next week that your grand... What? Yeah. If you sat down with many of your grandkids, whether they've been in at church or your kids, and say, give me your theory on the resurrection, I want you to hear me. And I'd love for somebody to test me. Give me your theories on the resurrection. They wouldn't say swoon theory, but they could say, you know, I just, I believe he could have, they could have had a, a, a mass vision. Uh, maybe the, maybe the, disciples stole the body away they're going to give you those answers or maybe it just wasn't physical it was spiritual resurrection and so we need to understand this and we need to be clear with this and notice what jesus says right there jesus placed an emphasis you can touch me you can see me you can know it is a physical resurrection and so when people say well we they kind of had this mass uh, hypnotic experience there's there's another problem the swoon theory doesn't make sense because no one survives a roman cross but this mass hysteria this mass hypnotic spiritual experience that, that there are people how many of you know there are people that have experiences individuals who have experiences how many of you know that and they're kind of nutso experience crazy experiences you can you take peyote uh you, you you know i've never done that but i hear that you can have some experiences right uh, you can do some sort of medicine uh, uh, that's not legal, and you can have some sort of out-of-body experience. That is true, or some crazy spiritual experience, some encounter with a God-like or a Satan-like individual. However, there are no accounts. There are no accounts of large groups of people having the same experience at the same time. 
So although we can say, you know, we could say Joe, boy, Joe could say, I had a dream one night, right? And Joe could describe this dream in amazing detail about an encounter with Jesus, all right? And I've had people say that. I had a dream that I met Jesus, and, you know, and my thing is, you better go ahead and get your will in order, uh, you know, because that may have been him saying, get your house in order. But Joe, and I've had people, I've read some of these stories. Anybody read the books? There's all, anytime there's a book about someone that died and went to heaven and came back, uh, somebody puts it on my desk and asks me to read it and tell me what I think about it next Saturday. Uh, I used to do that. Now I just let it sit on my desk until April. My wonderful uh, admin assistant who, who keeps lying, she throws it away or gives it away. or you know, I just don't have time anymore. But I used to read all of those. And people say, what do you think? I said, I think it could be true. I mean, I'm not going to debate whether that person died and had some sort of out-of-body experience and, you know, and, and, and had, now whether they add, added to it, I'm not going to get into that. Because I do, I do truly believe that, um, you know, it is appointed for a man once to die and then the judgment. I believe if, if God wants to send somebody one more last message before he says, listen, the next time you close your eyes, I'm not sending you back. Okay, now don't go out of here saying the pastor said he believes all these stories about these out-of-body experiences. I believe probably most of them are hokey. But if Joe comes up to me and tells me, I had a dream. And it was so real that I had a long conversation with Jesus. Am I ever going to be able to doubt that dream? Okay, no. And you know what? If I look at Joe, Joe's a pretty honest guy. Let me ask you, that, you know, if he came up and told me, I would believe him because he's not been prone to lie to me. He would say, Pastor, this happened, man. I remember this dream. Now, you can have instances of those, but you don't have any instances where everybody had the same vision at the same time. Do you understand? And so that is a fanciful fictional story when they will tell you that 500 people had the same dream and the same vision and all the disciples had the same dream and the same vision. It just doesn't happen. Boy, you go back to Woodstock now, 50 years ago, or whatever, there were a lot of visions out there, and they were all different. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Now, I wasn't there. I know, Joe, you were there. That's where you got this whole dream thing started. But, you know, the reality, there are lots of people that can have visions, but there's never been one instance of everybody in different people in different places having the same exact vision. But these did. What does that say? It wasn't a vision, right? It was a real experience. And that's what we want to see. Now, jump down, jump over to John chapter 20. In Luke chapter 24, you had, uh, verse 36, you had the disciples without Thomas. Now, in John chapter 20, I want to show you the disciples now with Thomas. Now, Thomas has already been told by the disciples, we have see seen a risen Savior. We have seen a risen Savior. And how many of you know what Thomas's responses were? Somebody shout it out. He says, that's great for y'all. He goes, but unless I see for myself, unless I touch myself, unless I encounter Christ myself, I will not believe. I will tell you this, guys, that that, that is kind of my nature. And, and I've had, you, you can ask my wife on many occasions as my kids have navigated through and my daughter going through engineering and my son going through Arkansas, that um, that I, I they will they will get in a conversation because they've been in a conversation off at college or off at high school uh, about 
to what to believe and you know and they're encountering people of hindu faith and buddhist faith and muslim faith and they come back and say and 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 i make this statement to my kids and i want to encourage you to first of all be willing to make this statement but then be willing to back it up and sometimes and i just did it again not long ago i looked at my kids and i said i want to remind you i am not a christian because i'm a pastor i'm a christian because it's true I am a Christian because it's, I believe it's true. And I will follow it up. If Christ is not raised from the dead, this is a waste of time. All right? We can all go do other things with our lives. I want you to know that's what I believe. Why do I believe that? Because that's what Jesus said. Jesus predicted he would die and be buried and rise again the third day. If he didn't, then the one we worship is a liar, guys. Why waste our time? So we need to be willing, and you need to, man, I want to encourage you, uh, grandparents, drop those words in those McDonald's breakfasts. You know I'm a Christian. You know why we're Christians, don't you? And they go, yeah, because we like, love Jesus. And because it's true. And our kids and grandkids need to hear that. And we've got to take them to the facts. So I want you to know, I am a Thomas-type guy. I am a Thomas type guy. I ventured in my faith and I went and I asked every question there was and I came to the answers, which is why I'm standing before you that this is true. And so here's what it says. This is John chapter 20. Pick it up reading verse 26. It says a week later, uh, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus then came in and stood with them and said, peace be with you, just like he had done before. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, uh, see my hands, uh, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas did just that. He says, my Lord and my God. Then look at verse 29. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. How much blessed are those who have not seen me and yet still believe. It's kind of interesting. All the way back, just before the resurrection, just after the resurrection story, Jesus brought you up. Did you, did you see, how many of you saw yourself right there in that passage? Yeah. He said, Thomas, blessed are you because you've seen me and believed. How much more blessed are those who haven't seen me, that's us, right? And yet still believe. Why do we believe? Based on the testimony, not just the testimony we have in words, but the testimony we have written in blood of the hundreds of martyrs for their faith who didn't recant because they knew what they had seen imagine this had we been one of the disciples and 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 i'm just going to put us right there had we been in that upper room and jesus said you know but had told us on a number of occasions i'm going to be nailed to a cross i'm going to be nailed to a cross i'm going to be nailed to a cross and then all of a sudden he gets nailed to a cross and we we know he died we we know what the outcome in that right is you're going to die and we, we begin to drift away and begin to do our own thing. And then all of a sudden someone say, hey, I saw Jesus. I'm yeah, right. That's me, guys. I'm going to say, yeah, right. Because they put him in the tomb. Romans don't mess up. When they kill you, they know how to kill you dead, right? That's the worst kind of being killed is when you're killed dead. And, and, and he, they knew. And Thomas says, unless I see, here he is. Jesus goes up to Thomas, doesn't chastise him. That's the beauty. That's the beauty. There are times that people will get in a, a debate, and I've had people share this with me over the years. 
you know, Pastor, I feel like you preach to baby Christians or you preach to non-believers. I want you to know my greatest call as a pastor is to set it on a T. Not to show you how spiritual I can get. Guys, I will tell you, I've got two masters and I've got a PhD. I could lose you in a nanosecond, all right? Now, it wouldn't take you all long to catch me because my IQ's not up there. I've just got degrees. But you understand what? But the point is, my job every week, and I want you to know, if you get in there and there are times that I am talking about things that you say, you know what, we've studied deeper than this in my life group. I want you to know, God bless you. Study deeper than this in my life group. How many of you would agree that the Sermon on the Mount was the greatest sermon ever preached? By the greatest preacher ever preached. How did Jesus start that sermon? Huh? Little children? Okay. Well, how did Jesus start the sermon? Somebody know it. Matthew 5. Somebody. Okay, now it's not, the, it's not a trick question. What, did he, what was the content of what he started off with? First of all, he sat down. The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. Michael, you were just about to get that, weren't you? The Beatitudes. Yeah. How many of you think the Beatitudes are real deep stuff? If, if I were to go preach a sermon right after Easter called 10, all right, Be Happy Tudes. And by the way, that's what the word means. I would have really spiritual people in this church who would get discouraged because I wasn't deep enough. I'm just telling you. How many of you know that? How did Jesus start the greatest sermon ever preached? With ten beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the... And that word blessed in the original language means happy are. Now, I can take you, we can talk about joy, and I've been down the road. You know, there's a difference between joy and happiness, right? There's a spiritual joy. and Yeah, how many of you have heard all those sermons? I'll preach those sermons, and I can define those sermons for you. But there is a real, you walk through the whole Sermon on the Mount, there's not anything in there that's deep or theological. He looks over at the Pharisees and says, hey, you love those prayers. You got lots of words. Matter of fact, Jesus says, y'all are great prayers. He goes, but your prayers mean nothing because you pray them to be heard by other men. Anything, is that any deep theological substance right there? And he goes, you have your reward. Now let me tell you what, there are a lot of people that think church ought not to be funny. Jesus was funny, folks, because he said, you have your reward. What was their reward? They wanted to be heard by men. What did Jesus say? You got what you wanted. Other men heard you pray and went, wow, that's a prayer. I was blessed on Sunday after Easter. I got home and the whole family was waiting for me. We had some family over and I walked in and Gina, my wife, looked at me and she goes, do you want someone else to pray? And I had preached all weekend and talked all we weekend and I'm a professional prayer, but when there's food on the table, they become real condensed, all right? It's the, it's the Cliff Notes prayer headed to lunch. And she looked over at Stephen Carlock and she said, Stephen, why don't you pray? And he goes, I'm glad to stand in for the pastor. And so he played basically a terrible prayer. And, um, but it was short. It was short. 
Uh, but anyway, the, the point is, what? there's nothing spiritual about that, right? And you just roll through, and then he talks about when you give alms. Don't, don't give it to be seen by men. You have your reward. He, goes, he talks about, man, if, if you lust, they, they said, some say, you know, don't commit adultery. He says, all right, great. Don't commit. How about this? Don't lust. Let's stop it way before that, because if you've lost, what is it? He says, broad is the way and narrow. Anything we can't understand about that, broad is the way. There's nothing theologically deep about that. Then if you get to the end, Jesus finishes. He starts with beatitudes. He finishes with what? By telling a story about two guys that built a house. How many of you know which two guys I'm talking about? One guy builds his house upon the rock, and the other guy builds his house. That's vacation Bible school stuff, folks, right? How many of you understand? He says, and guess what? The rain came, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and guess what? The wise guy who built his house upon the rock, his house stood. And the California dude, right, who built his house upon the fault line what is the fault line sand burn whatever yeah sacramento um yeah built his house fell is there anybody in this room that you can't get that now i want you to wait until the end and then what did jesus say go and do likewise now am i against going deeper absolutely not in fact i want your life group to go deeper and i want you to take other people with you you understand what i'm saying i want you to i want you to learn everything you can so you can plumb the depths of the truth of god's word and then but when you come up always come back to the surface surface and speak with oxygen and words that people can hear and understand don't go to a place you ever you know i found this and i still swim from time to time when we go to youth camp or kids camp or something like that i have found as i've gotten older you know i used to dive in the deep end and used to love it all the time but now my ears hurt and does that the sign that i'm getting older you know get down into 10 foot and i'm like good grief who wants to go scuba diving man my, my ears hurt at 10 foot right I found that as older I get, that's the way to, you know, the reality of it is we don't want to always take people down where they don't get it, they don't understand it. We want to always be able to communicate up here and then take them with us. Always be willing to take them with us. And so I love this. I'm a Thomas. I want to be speaking in such a place where I constantly say, touch, see, know Jesus was real. Okay, you're just like Thomas. I've got no problem. If Jesus, if Jesus dealt with a doubter, with loving proofs we should be the same way sometimes we want to say someone doubts their faith we want to send them out of the church i'm like i want you in church i want you come someone say pastor i i don't know i'm not not sure that i believe yet great keep coming best way to find out is to keep showing up right just show up just show up just show up just show up and you're going to hear a message it'll connect with you i love that's what he did let me jump you to another story real quick i'll actually go back to first corinthians 15 want to go back to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at this one because I want you to see. Michael, thanks for coming, buddy. Like next week or like in a few minutes? <laughs> Sunday. 
I want you to go through all of these, and then we're actually going to end on the most important one, or one of the most important ones. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you have been, have been, have been saved. He says, If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you what was first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, with the Scriptures, that He was buried and He raised again the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive. And I love that phrase, but some have fallen asleep. I'd love to say, guys, in 20 years, we're all going to be right here, but there is a reality. There could be an accident or something could happen. We might not all still be right here. Uh, and he says, some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, to one ultimately born, he appeared to me. Untimely born, he appeared to me. Now, I want to go look at Paul's experience. All right. Go to Acts chapter 9. Go to Acts chapter 9. And as you make a journey to Acts chapter 9, uh, if you look before Acts chapter 9, persecution broke out against the church. The Sanhedrin, the, the Jews, the, the chief priests, they were tired of it. Uh, they, had, they had hoped to put this whole uh, Jesus thing aside. Jesus hung around on this earth for 40 days before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection. He ascended into heaven, told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell. Peter began to preach. Thousands are saved. Churches are beginning to spring up. They're taking the gospel and the message and the truth of the gospel from one town to the next. Then a persecution breaks out. One of the young Pharisees, by the way, and he was a Pharisee, one of the young Pharisees was a guy named Saul. Uh, Saul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he said. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He says, as to the law, he was perfect. All right? So that means even the best Baptist couldn't beat Paul, okay? As to the law, he was perfect because let me tell you what, what is the one thing we know about Baptists? We have a lot of rules and a lot of laws, but when we're alone, we break a lot of them. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, that whole, uh, what was the old joke, what's the old fishing joke? How many Baptists do you take fishing with you? At least two because one will drink all your beer, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You do. <laughs> Got a Shane just raised his great bow bands back there. So that's why Shane invites none of us to go fishing with him. He just wants all of his beer. But so Paul began to persecute the church. And he's there when Stephen was martyred for his faith. One of the first deacons, go in Acts chapter 6, as the church began to grow, uh, some of the widows were being neglected in the dissemination of the, word, uh, of the food and, and the resources. Let me tell you what, when you were a widow in that day, there wasn't Medicare, there wasn't Medicaid, there wasn't Social Security, and, and if you didn't have kids that were going to take care of you or a husband that were going to take care of you, you were basically destitute. And so the church began to raise funds, began to care for them. Well, what, what did the church have a tendency to do? Acts chapter 2, first, uh, most of the first uh, uh, disciples were Jewish converts. So you had some Jewish widows and some Gentile widows or some Greek widows. And guess what happened? If most of the deacons in the church uh, would happen to have been Jews, who did they have a tendency to take care of, care of more? The Jewish widows, right? 
right? So they selected these deacons. One of them was Stephen. Stephen not only was a servant, but he also was a preacher. He preached a great message when they called him to count. Then they stoned him, and one of the people that were holding the coats of the people that were throwing the rocks was a guy named Saul. Saul was taking letters to go from town to town to drag off and martyr new Christians for the faith to try to stamp out this Christianity. And so now let's come to Acts chapter 9. It says, Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, uh, whether, by the way, if you've ever heard of the way, it's sometimes Christianity is called the way, there it comes. Uh, a little bit later in the book of Acts, they're first called Christians. It says, Whether men or women, he might take them uh, as prisoners to Jerusalem, drag them back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem says as he neared Damascus on his journey we're in Acts chapter 9 uh, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him verse 4 he fell to the ground and heard a voice said Saul Saul why do you persecute me love those words Saul Saul why do you persecute me this is the Saul who would eventually become Paul and he says who are you Lord and there, there's kind of a question who are you Lord is this the one I'm talking about Saul asked he says I am Jesus whom you are persecuting he replied now get up go into the city uh, and you will be told what you must do and then look at verse 8 so Saul got up uh, from the ground but when he opened his eyes he couldn't see anything so they led him by hand into Damascus for th three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything basically Here's what Saul was doing. Saul was trying to stamp out the church. The church was beginning to spread. And by the way, one of the best things that happened to the church was to be persecuted in Jerusalem because that began to use, then they began to use the common language which the, which the Greeks under Alexander gave them, Koine Greek. That was the trade language or when he Hellenized the world. They began to take the Greek language down those Roman roads, all right? And take it from one place to another to another and when they took it from one place they, they would start a church and they'd plant a church and they'd plant a church so paul began to journey up now where would they go when they would go into the new a new town to teach if the town had a synagogue that was part of what a synagogue did someone would go around and begin to share the gospel there at the synagogue they would take the old testament take it from the old testament sacrificial system pointed to Jesus who was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and so Paul was going from town to town but he also although he had authority back in Jerusalem he says I want to bring a bunch of these Christians back and we want to judge them in Jerusalem he had already done some of that with Peter and John remember they said you're not going to preach in, the, in his name again and what do they say it's better that we should obey God than man and that's a that's a good little idea as we journey forward in our own lives always want to remember we obey God and so as Paul's going on the road to Damascus he encounters a risen Christ now as you jump down to verse 10 it says in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias and the Lord called to him in a vision said Ananias and he says yes Lord he answered and the Lord told him go to a house of Judas uh, on straight street and ask a man from a man from Tar ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul for he is praying Look at verse 13. I love Ananias' uh, response. Well, he says, Lord, no, I don't think that's a good idea. I isn't that pretty honest? He says, uh, look, Jesus, let me kind of share something with you. This guy's not a big fan of this whole Christianity thing. 
And so he says, Lord, Ananias, I've heard many reports about this man named Saul and all, all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's now come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Now, I want you to hear that statement right there. Paul was called and chosen to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And you see him do that throughout the rest of the New Testament. You had many of those like James and Peter uh, uh, and John who shared the gospel speaking primarily to the Jews. But Paul's call was to ultimately go to the Gentiles. And that's exactly what Paul did. Now, you also see Paul in conflict from time to time. He go, goes and plants a church in Galatia, and what happens? The Judaizers, the Christian Jews, come in, and they start saying, hey, it's good to have you Gentiles on board with this whole Christianity thing, but you got to stop eating that, and you can't do this, and you need some washing going on here. What is it? And Paul's saying, look, 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 the gospel frees us from the law, right? It frees us from the law. They don't have to become good Jews to stay good Christians. If they choose to live that way, that's great, but you can't impose your system on them. And we see Peter and uh, uh, Paul get into, uh, get into some battles over it. So those are just some of the encounters of Christ. You can also go read in Luke chapter 24, another one, a road, road to Emmaus. Uh, there's a couple of other encounters, but the truth is Jesus was risen from the grave. And that is a fact. That's a fact that gives us hope. And so let's share that today. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for these guys. Guys, God, as we uh, look back and think back and reflect back on what Easter was about and look forward to this weekend as we take, uh, take the theme and the idea of those two words, but God, we realize that whatever we're going through in life, whatever Satan deals with, whatever circumstances we're going through, you have a different statement. You have a but God moment for us. And God, here's what I know. The more we focus on you, the bigger you as God gets and the smaller the things the world brings our way gets. God, I pray that every guy here would invite someone to church this weekend. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.